Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to the Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. My name is Maddie and today we are going to be discussing forbearance agreements. Joining me on today's episode is Misty Bethany. She is our Chief Compliance Officer here at Ignite Funding. And then Pat Vassar, Director of Underwriting. And today we're going to discuss what is a forbearance agreement? Are there specific requirements to forbearance agreements? We're also going to be discussing the process of obtaining a forbearance agreement. When would Ignite Funding negotiate one? When would we not negotiate one? So, Pat, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Pat. Okay. And what do you do here? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the director of underwriting here at Ignite Funding in charge of sourcing, underwriting, and facilitating the transaction of these trustee investments. Awesome. And we also have Misty here with us today. Hi, I'm Misty. My main job is to police Pat and (laughs) take care of compliance as the chief compliance officer. Perfect. And today we're talking forbearance agreements. So let's get right into it. What is a forbearance agreement? Go ahead, Pat. Forbearance is simply any modification done to the original promissory note and deed of trust. Obviously, when the borrower signs the promissory note and the deed of trust, it binds them with us through our investors through a certain uh, rules of engagement. You know, the amount that they're paying when they're paying, how much they're paying, all that is described. Anytime one or more of those items needs change, it needs to be done through a loan modification and in some cases, a forbearance. Yep. So any modification to the original loans requires a termination by investors. So that's when we do a forbearance agreement. Now let's talk specific requirements of forbearance agreements. Unlimited, right? I mean, anytime you modify anything, it is really a modification to the promissory note, promissory note and deed of trust. And therefore, another way to, to term that is a forbearance. And typically, when you forbear something, it's typically to extend the loan. Um, most cases, that's what it is. But, you know, it can be done, like you said, you know, any type of modification could, could end up in a forbearance. So what could be in there? Really, anything in the kitchen sink. Right. Anything, anything that's not in the original terms, but 99.5% of our forbearances are just an extension of the original term. Okay. And what does the process of obtaining a forbearance agreement look like? I guess it kind of starts with me. Um, I, I typically go to the borrower and let them know that their loan has matured and that they need to pay it off. And we then talk about refinance. We talk about that refinance either being done internally with Ignite Funding or externally with a different lending institution. If it's going to be done internally with Ignite Funding, uh, we go through the costs associated with it and the timing in which we can get it done. One of the key uh, questions we have is the timing. You know, what, what is that property going to be sold or when is it going to be refinanced if it weren't for this uh, current 
maturity date. If that has a good answer and it has a very short period of time, then I'll go to Misty and say, hey, Misty, borrower really just needs another month or two to get this thing sold or refinanced. Uh, what do you think uh, the investors will will say on it? And then Misty comes in. And I don't have a crystal ball, so I get all the details from Pat. And then I try and put that in an articulated format for the investors in a communication. We have to ballot the investors. Ignite Funding does not have the ability to make that determination on loan modification without the investor approval, and that's a majority of the investor approval. So usually Pat will tell me one or two months, and I typically extend that beyond there because the most annoying thing for an investor from what we've heard is when we ballot for a two-month forbearance and the borrower ends up needing two and a half months. So oftentimes what investors see when they have a ballot is a little bit longer term than what it proves out to be in, in the end. Can you explain balloting investors a little bit? Sure. So because we are regulated by uh, Nevada, uh, Nevada Revised Statute 645B, we, like I said, we cannot make any determination outside of those original loan terms. The investors have to do that by a 51% majority vote. So we basically give them options. Often with a forbearance, it's we explain the situation, we give them the option to extend the uh, loan term by whatever time Pat thinks with a little bit of cushion in there, maybe that I add. Or the other option is they're out of the original terms. And so for closure, the other F word in this scenario is always in play. Um, in my experience, we have never had the investor majority choose that route, although occasionally clients will choose that second option, but it's never the investor majority. And to take that one step further, it's not just um, the NRS code 645B that requires that. It is a binding agreement between the borrower True. and the uh, beneficiaries. Ignite funding is not the beneficiary of the deed of trust and promissory note. It is the investors. Sure. We They go through us to, to compile all the information and give them the best loans we have available and our underwriting and, and our uh, judgment as to what they should do or what we recommend doing. But at the end of the day, it's their choice. And as the beneficiary of the deed of trust, it is their choice, not ours. Is there a certain amount of time a forbearance agreement is written for? I like to make it for six months, even if Pat tells me I don't. they only need two months, just because, again, we have to ballot. So that means that clients have to take time out of their day to to sign that ballot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and if we had to put an average on it, I would probably say a little less than six months, maybe four or five, yeah. somewhere in there for the average duration of the forbearance with the caveat of typically those loans pay off sooner than the, the forbearance agreement. Like Missy said, she typically pads, pads them a little bit to give the borrower a little extra time. And because of that, um, it usually does pay off before the forbearance agreement expires. How many forbearances on average would you say Ignite Funding sends out each year? About a dozen. So I actually um, was looking at that recently and it's been pretty consistent to be around that. Uh, last year we had slightly more. We had 16 and uh, this year to date we have 11. So again, they're pretty routine that we ask for them. 
what would happen if the investor majority voted to foreclose instead of approving the forbearance? That's never happened before in, in the case of a forbearance, but if it were to happen, then we would be forced to notify the borrower that we're going to file a notice of default. Pat, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing the borrower would yeah, choose to refinance the loan. Exactly. Um, anytime we do a forbearance, is it's a situation where there's just one little thing that is missing. Typically, like Missy said, 99.5% of the time, it's they just need a little bit more time. There's nothing wrong with the project. There's nothing wrong with the borrower or the asset or anything about it except just timing. And because of that, we don't feel as though we're putting the investors any additional harm or, or increasing the risk on their investment. And we stand by that even when we do a forbearance. So although some people may view it as a, a four-letter word, um, it's it's really not. It's simply just a, a modification. And like you said, 99.5% of the time, it's just to give them a little bit more time. So if in the unlikely event, our investors came back and said, nope, we're foreclosing. This has a tremendous amount of value. We want to foreclose, take it back, and we'll sell it and we'll make all this money. Our borrower, once we tell them that we're going to foreclose, will say, okay, great. Here's the check to pay you off. They'll either get it done that day or the next day right. and pay us off. In any event, it will be done before we can actually foreclose there's statutory requirements for the length of time it takes to foreclose. And every single one of those times, the borrower will get us paid off one way, shape, or form. And because this has become so routine, our investors are well accustomed to it. And oftentimes, we have approval for forbearances within 24 hours, 48 hours at the most. And many of them have told me that they like it. And the reason they like it is... They're continuing to earn interest during those times without having to select a new investment or do new paperwork. So, so that would be the benefits? That's a benefit for the investors for sure. Mm -hmm. Are there any benefits of a forbearance for the borrower? Yeah, absolutely. The borrower gets to just extend the period of time in which they have to repay the loan. Typically, that gives them ample time to get it paid off or refinanced just through its normal life cycle. And because of that, they don't have to pay um, additional costs that would typically arise from refinancing a loan. So basically, what you guys are saying is forbearance agreements aren't a bad thing? They're not a bad thing. And keep in mind that sometimes, although I do pad them, when I'm talking about those numbers of 16 a year, it can be on the same loan. So if we ask for a three-month forbearance for something, and they end up needing three and a half months. When it comes to the end of that initial forbearance, we do have to ballot again. So that you have to factor Excuse that in with the numbers. Yeah. yeah. And to put that in perspective, how many loans did we originate last year? 150 or so? Right. So about 10%. And none of those would have come up for, you know, so it would be going for the year or the, the two prior. years prior. Yeah, so. good point. I mean, in a perfect world, we wouldn't forbear anything. Right, it would pay off when it's supposed to. Wouldn't pay off a day early. Wouldn't pay off a day late. Uh, but we don't work in a perfect world. They can sell the property at any point in time. So just because you go on a nine-month loan with a nine-month extension doesn't mean that's going to be outstanding eighteen months. Chances are it's going to be paid off prior to that eighteen-month point in time. And ten percent of the time, roughly ten percent of the time, it will be paid off after that eighteen months via a forbearance. And most likely not something that the borrower wants to have to ask for a request either, no. but 
Again, they don't control everything from supply chains to refinances. So quick question, when the borrower requests a forbearance agreement, does that get documented or recorded anywhere? Yeah, I mean, nothing formally. It doesn't go against the credit. We don't report it to the credit bureaus. Therefore, it's not goes doesn't go on their credit report per se. But our internal scoring, it absolutely does take effect. Every borrower that we have, we compare their original budget and original timeline to what actually happened. Uh, it's one thing to to, uh, to to deliver timelines and budgets, but if they're not worth anything, if they're not uh, deemed to be reliable, what's the point? So my job as an underwriter is to, to trust but verify, right? So they will say, trust me, we're going to, it's going to cost this much and trust me, we'll get it paid off in this amount of time. Well, a lot of things going to happen between those, those two T's. Yeah. The, between those two T's that will uh, uh, indicate what really happened. And so we go back on every single loan and look at what they said it was going to cost compared to what it actually cost what they said would be the duration of the loan compared to what was the duration of the loan. If we have borrowers that continually come in under budget and under time, then we'll be more willing to do more deals with them. If we have a borrower that never hits their budget and never hits their timeline, chances are we're not doing many deals with them in the future. And then the thing that I would add to to that is loan modification is still is basically another contract or another term. So they still are are considered to be in good standing, even when they're in forbearance, they're still making interest payments. And we are certainly still keeping tabs on the on the progress of the project. That's something that that Pat's continuing to do throughout that whole term. Well, thank you, Pat and Misty, for joining me today. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to help me discuss forbearance agreements. And I look forward to having you on again. Adios. If you're listening to this and you still have questions, please feel free to reach out to us via our website or give us a call, email us. We would be more than happy to put you in touch with someone who can answer your specific question for you. Next week, we're going to be going over a common question that we've been getting a lot from investors lately, and that is, why has Ignite Funding recently been funding so many loans in Nevada? If you're not a current investor, you can go to our website, ignitefunding.com, and check out our funded investments archive from October. You can see why they're asking this question. So be sure to tune in next Thursday, where our resident underwriter, Pat Vassar, shares his insights into Ignite Funding's overall lending strategy so investors can better see the bigger picture. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week on Deeds in the Desert. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 